Wow, that's um, a bit of an illustration. By the way, that's a very entertaining movie, uh, the, the Fighting Temptations. So it's fun, and it's, uh, uh, it's got some good stuff in it, And as, as, as you saw right there. A bit of a maybe over-dramatization of, of what some maybe have heard or seen. Some maybe have even experienced something like that, maybe not quite as direct and as blunt and as openly uh, judgmental as that was, but, but something like that. Which brings me to the theme that I really wanted to kind of center in on. And some of you have seen this and saw this in the series card. That's the last of this series, 10 Things That Makes the Church Cringe or Tackling the Tough Issues That We'd Rather Avoid. And it really has to do with this whole thing of do I have to be boring to follow Christ? Now that obviously is a title that probably found its roots in my childhood, going to Union Baptist Church in the middle of a cornfield in the middle of Ohio, and uh, and from a and I'm not saying it is a boring church that the people there are boring. I'm talking about from a young man's perspective who desired to live, was desiring to live for God, and every time I tried to do something, you know, no, oh, you can't do that, you can't do that. Uh, in in your own sort of at that point mind that hasn't fully developed uh, spiritually and so forth. You start equating some of that stuff to boredom. And what I want you to think about with me is, and I'm going to just answer that question, do I have to be boring to follow Christ? Um, i, I got a little statement here I want you just to think about with me. It's, it's, it's really the real deal core question that I call it. And um, does God want us all to be the same, have the same interest, like and dislike the same stuff, totally agree on all values, on all ethics, on all political stuff. Be a, be a part of the same political party. Some churches you go to, and if you're not a member, a member of a particular political party, well, you, you know, you're not going to be in the most favored nation status, so to speak. Um, so, you know, what do you do with that? I'm going to answer the question four ways, um, with, a, with a yes, a no, and a no, and a no. Okay, and you got that in your bulletin there, in your, in your programs. And, uh, and we just kind of just jump into this because we got a lot of stuff I want to show you that have to deal with this theme that I, I really think are very important. I mean, just really important for us to understand as we try to understand God and, and a relationship with God and what that means and what that's required or what that requires of me and so forth. First thing is this. Do I have to be boring to follow Christ? Well, yes, if you're already boring. Okay? We'll just get that one out of the way. Okay? I mean, you know, God is a great God, and He does some powerful things, and He can part the Red Sea, and and uh, and so forth and so forth. But, you know, one of those things, you know, there's the old saying there, that if you just trust Christ, everything's going to be better. It's a wonderful adage. It's not always true. I believe it will be better eternally, but you can trust Christ, and you still deal with what you got. Okay? You're still who you are. You're still the core person that God made you. That's not a bad thing, by the way. And I want to jump into that. I just sort of said that just to kind of, you know, have a little fun with that. Second thing I really want to jump into is this. Do I have to be boring to follow Christ? No, God is not looking for what I call C3, cookie-cutter Christians. That's my term. You know, and, and here's, you know what I'm getting at, I think, with that. And that is this, that, that we have this impression, as I said earlier, that we have to all be this way and this way and, and like this and not like that and, and march in this protest and, and don't march in that protest and don't be for that particular thing and, and, and be on this particular political side. It's just, it really gets cumbersome after a while. 
Because it's like, you know, is that, is that something that I'm a, if I'm a follower of Christ, do I have to do that or, or do I have to not do that? Um, just to make a couple of quick points about this, and I want to take you to some verses. Just to think along these lines. First of all, it's a real important issue. You are unique. God made you that way. God made you the person that you are. There's a passage, I don't have this for you on the screen, but I'll just read it to you. Psalm 139, David writes this. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex, God. Your workmanship is marvelous, how well I know it. Some Bibles read, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. The core person of who you are is who God created. And we're all unique. And that's a good thing. We're all different. Can I put it this way? We're all weird. You know, because we look at somebody else, he's weird. Why is he weird? Well, because he's not like me. Well, maybe I'm weird. You know, and that's, that's part of this whole thing. We're all unique. The weird, I think, probably has a negative connotation, so I won't use it. We're all very unique, and we need to thank God for that. Now, does that mean there doesn't need to be some change in my life? Of course not. Because we're all fallen people, there needs to be some changes. There needs to be some transformation, which I believe can come in some powerful ways by, by and through God. But the core person of who I am, God made me. And instead of trying to think, well, yeah, I got this, and I got this, and I got to be this, and, and you know, I had, I, back to my thing, and, and, and you may have it something similar, maybe it's different for you. The thing that I had was that if I'm, the, all the people that I knew for a long time in my life were people who were co- the, the neat, quote-unquote, Christians, the people who were the leaders, uh, so to speak. Many of them were very quiet and, and kind of restrained and, 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 you know, just very refined well, I mean, you know, I haven't got a prayer. I'm, I'm already, I'm, that's three strikes for me right there. Boom, I'm dead. You know? But then when God began to work in my own life, and I began to give my life to God, and I began to understand a little more about that thing, I began to realize, you know, God made me a certain way, and He made them a certain way, and He made that person a certain way. And it's, it's really neat. I mean, it's really neat. We were, anywhere you go, and New York is great for this. I just love doing this. Whether you're in Times Square or whether you're, at the seaport where we were yesterday, and you just kind of sit around, and you're eating, and you're watching people and so forth. Everybody looks different. Now, there are a few people who have some similar care, but everybody's different. And what's great about New York is you see so much diversity. I love that. And, and, and here's the thing when you think about that, you know, we, go, we, we see we're living in an age when everybody thinks we have to look a certain way, and we have makeovers to make them this way, and, and the makeover has to be a particular, you know, it's kind of a cookie-cutter thing. You've got to be anorexic, and you've got to be this, and you've got to be this, and, you know, and the whole thing. And it really becomes a problem, not just for those of us who desire to follow Christ and be what God wants us to be, but for people all over the world. We're all unique, folks. Now, you know, I'm just going to save you a whole lot of pain and heartache and tears. Thank God for that. Be thankful for that. You know, God made me this way, and granted, I got some rough edges that need to be sanded off a little bit, but, but I'm going to thank God for the core person of who I am and who He made me to be. And we're gonna, I'm going to be grateful for that. So, once I do that, I come to this other little second thought here when we talk about God's not looking for these C3s, these cookie cutter Christians. Once I do that, See, and I start with myself and realize I'm unique. Guess what happens next? It means I've got to accept others, too. And you know what's cool about this? The Bible tells us over, I'm going to show you a couple right now, over and over again to accept others for where they are and their, their quirks and whatever. 
Never does the Bible tell us anywhere we're supposed to change others. Now, we are to change our, we are to ask God to help us to change in certain areas and in certain ways, but never does it say, oh, by the way, one of the things that you are supposed to do if you're a good Christian is start changing other people. Let me show you real quick, just two real simple passages of scripture from the Bible. First one comes from Colossians, I'm sorry, Romans 15. So accept each other just as Christ has accepted you. Accept each other just as Christ has accepted you. He puts just another little caveat on this in Colossians. Watch this. Um, He puts it this way. Come on, Colossians. There you go. You must make allowance for each other's faults. Whoa. So now we go from not just accepting, but kind of, one Bible puts it this way, one translation puts it this way, forbearing with one another. Forbearance. You must make allowance for each other's faults and forgive the person who offends you. Whoa, remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. And the most important piece of clothing you must wear is love. Love is what binds us all together in perfect harmony. So you see, we are all unique, and we are to honor that uniqueness in others, which is called acceptance. Tolstoy put it this way, and I like this. Everybody thinks of changing humanity. And nobody thinks of changing himself. That's a good statement. Just kind of reflect on that a little bit. Now, do we have some common denominators? Yeah, we do. Those of us who are seeking to follow God and seeking to be what he wants us to be, yeah, we have some. We, we, we have a, hopefully, we have a biblical worldview. We have values that are grounded in the Bible. You know what? We can have that. And even if we have that, we're going to still have some differences, aren't we? I mean, people who call themselves Christians, people who go to church every Sunday in different kinds of churches, sometimes fight, sometimes come to blows over some of the most incredibly ridiculous things that you can imagine. So, so while that's not acceptable, we can have differences. One of, the, one of the visions of Renaissance Church that I just love is we try not to major in the minors. And we have folks here from... Uh, the, as wide of a spectrum from Baptist and Methodist and Presbyterians to Catholics to Episcopalians to have a few Jewish people who show up occasionally uh, who just love being a part of what we're doing and so forth. And, and you know what? Um, I, I like that. I like that diversity. And I think, I think that's what Jesus would do if he had a church in Short Hills or Summit or Milburn or in this area, in this age. And because that's what I saw in his mind. He'd, he'd go out to all kinds of people. He'd always be, he'd be criticized for some of the people that he would go to. Unbelievable, isn't it? Um, just think about that. Pray about that. You know what? And I, I'm going to leave the point. But before I leave the point, let me just mention something. I find this, this whole thing of being unique and honoring the uniqueness in others, I find this not just a problem in church but I find this a huge problem in families, marriages. Um, she's not like me. No, that's why you married her, idiot. You know? He's not like me. It's just amazing how we sometimes find things that we find so appealing about the person who we marry that sometimes be the very, can be the very thing that can drive a wedge between us at times. And, and I would just say this. Certainly, you need to work through some of that. You need to talk about that. Maybe you need to pray about that. 
But you know what? One of the things you need to do also is, is enjoy the differences, not just endure them. Because God made us different for different reasons in different ways. And, uh, and he gives us many different illustrations in the Bible. It's just amazing how we, wanna, how we want everybody to be like us. You know, whether it be in marriage or whether it be in some other thing. Charlene and I are watching this, this uh, video series um, on DVD, the, uh, the Whole History of New York, which is just fascinating. It goes all the way back to New Amsterdam and the, and the Dutch in the 1600s and so forth. And one of the statements that one of the historians make in there is how, particularly in the, in the 1800s, how whatever new ethnic group came into New York, that became the ethnic group of, uh, that, that you would persecute and that you would hate. You know, for a while it would be the Polish, and then and all of a sudden 15,000 Irish came, and then it became the Irish, you know, and then it became somebody else. You know, and it's just, it's interesting how whichever the latest ethnic group to come to New York became the group that everybody else would hate because they weren't like everybody else. And I thought about that. I said, you know, that's a lot like life. If somebody's different from me, you now we're pretty, most, most of us are sophisticated enough to, be on, to get beyond the color barrier now. And, that, and while certainly in, in, in the 1800s, early 1900s of this country, somebody was a different color, they were, you know, they were, they were inferior to whoever, whatever color you are. But well, we're beyond that. Most of us, I think, are beyond that. But now we take it into other areas. We take it into behavior patterns. We take it into political preferences. Well, is he a Democrat or is he a Republican or is he one of those crazy independents? You know, we do all kinds of things because we, want, we, we so much want people to be like us. I have found, just in studying churches in my life in, in, as a pastor, that many times churches end up being pretty much, you know, if it's a middle-class church, end up being middle-class people. If it's a high-class in terms of upper-class in terms of income, it, it attracts upper-class type of people and vice versa. I mean, it, it's, it's amazing how we like to stay within our own comfort level like that, and yet I believe it's wrong if we understand what the Bible teaches. God's not looking for cookie-cutter Christians. He's not looking for all of us to be just alike, to like the same things, to dislike the same things. God loves diversity because he created us all. Are we to have a, a, a value system that is grounded in truth? Yeah, we are. But even inside of that, as I said, we can have and do have some areas of disagreement. So, First of all, let me go back real quick. Do I have to be boring to follow Christ? Well, yeah, if I'm already boring, I am. Number two, no. God's not looking for cookie-cutter Christians, all right? Third thing I want you to see. God doesn't want you confined. You say, what is that? I love this point. I could talk about this point all day, but I won't. Let me tell you this. This is really important. Following Christ never means... I'm going to read it to you because it's, it's, it, I don't want to mess it up. Following Christ never means having to give up freedom. Following Christ never means having to give up freedom. Let me show you the guy that created or invented, whatever word you want to use, what we now know as Sunday school. His name was Dwight Moody. Let me show you what he said. The Spirit of God first imparts love. He next inspires hope and then gives liberty. And that's about the last thing we have in many of our churches today. He lived in the 1900s, early 1900s. Great, great man. Loved God, loved people. Freedom is a big, big deal to God. I know that because I read the Bible. 
And I'm going to give you just a, I'm going to just do a real quick, real quick jump through some of these verses just to kind of make sure you understand what I'm saying. Even that question, this comes from um, Galatians chapter 2, verse 4. Even that question wouldn't come up except for some so-called Christians there, he's speaking to the Galatians in Galatia, false ones, he says, really who came to spy on us and see our freedom in Christ Jesus, they wanted to force us like slaves to follow their Jewish regulations. These were people of, of the Jewish cult at that particular time. But we refused to listen to them for a single moment. We wanted you to preserve the truth, or we wanted to preserve the truth of the good news for you. Next verse. I'll show you this. That's Galatians 2, 4, and 5. All right. Um, next one, real quick. Um, I just want to blow through these real quick here. Um, even that... Oh, you got it. Come on. Another one. Ah, no, thank you. Christ has set us free to live a free life. She's playing tricks on me back there. Um, she's doing, I know what she's doing. She, she, what she does is she says, I'll just leave the same verse and he won't even know it because she knows how I am sometimes. I, and that's true. Oftentimes that is true. Um, Christ has set us free to live a free life. So take your stand. Never again let anyone put a harness of slavery on you. I'm emphatic about this. The moment any one of you submits to circumcision, that was a big deal in this age, first century, or any other, any other rule-keeping system, at that same moment, Christ's hard-won gift of freedom is squandered. I repeat my warning, the person who accepts those ways takes all the advantages of the free life in Christ for the obligations of the slave of the life of law. I mean, that's just... Next, let me show you the next one, because this just, this just builds. Next one's the uh, Galatians chapter 5, verse 13. For you have been called to live in freedom. Not freedom to satisfy your sinful nature, but freedom to serve one another in love. One more. You've heard, you've heard, this, you've heard me refer to this one, one of my favorite passages of Scripture in Colossians 2. Therefore, don't let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink, or with regard to the religious festival a new moon celebration, or Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Let me just keep reading for this next passage. We have it up here. I have it for you. Since you died with Christ to the basic principles of this world, why, as though you still belong to it, do you submit to its rules? Don't handle, don't taste, don't touch. These are all destined to perish with use because they are based on human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body. And they lack, watch this, they lack any value in restraining sensual or any other kind of indulgence. You see, God, this thing of freedom is a big deal to God. Don't ask me. I can't answer this question. Why is that freedom not taught, talked about, you know, uh, emphasized more in, in those of us who call ourselves believers and who, who desire to follow Christ? Why is it emphasized more? I don't know, except I do know this. Control comes with rules, and a whole lot of people are more concerned about control than they are about people being set free in, in Christ and that relationship with God. I'm going to show you something in a moment, I think, that might help that as well. Now, let me just say this one thing. I said it, I want, to, I want to go back to the statement that I said earlier. Following Christ never means having to give up our freedom. Sometimes, though, sometimes, I'm going to talk about some of those freedoms in just a second. Sometimes we may desire willingly to give up some of those freedoms for a greater cause. Let's talk about freedom. What does that mean? Um, 
For some, depending on the culture you're out of, that freedom might be just the, this, this is not going to affect many of you because most of you haven't had this, but that freedom is going to be whether or not you can have a glass of wine. Some of you were raised, some of us were raised in homes where that wasn't necessarily, or churches where that wasn't necessarily acceptable, or, 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 or something along those lines. Today, that freedom looks different ways. So today, I mean, you have this thing going on with some people and this class struggle sometimes, you know, and, and, and do I judge a person because they have a nicer house than I do, or a bigger house, or maybe when you're looking to buy a house, well, I can afford this much, should I, should I get bigger or should I get smaller? Or maybe if I'm going to have this car, why don't I spend an extra 10000 and get this car? You know, it, we could go on that whole argument, it's a, it's a, it's a terrible argument. Because then you start getting into, well, well, should I do this or should I do this? And, and here's the issue here. You have freedom to do whatever you feel like you want to do and can afford. In this case, the case of my illustration or whatever it happens to be, you have the freedom. But you know what? Sometimes, back to my first part of that illustration, I may be with someone who I know has a drinking problem. And as much as I enjoy a glass of wine with a meal, I may say, you know what? Maybe it's best that I don't drink that glass of wine around this particular person. Because it may encourage them to do that, and, and they may not be able to handle it. I may, I may choose to do that on my own. I may choose to say, you know what? I can afford this kind of a house or this kind of a car, and there's nothing sinful, there's nothing wrong with me having that. I may choose to scale back just a hair so I can go help this person or go help that person. I may decide to do that. I have the freedom. That doesn't make that person more righteous. doesn't make them more anything. What happens, though, is somebody does that, and it's out of a good motive, and then, and then, then they sometimes, this, this happens sometimes, then they say, well, then if I do this, everybody should do this. Eh, wrong answer. Because that's something between you and God. That may not be between that person and God. And that's where we get into trouble, among Christian circles sometimes. Because we start doing that kind of stuff, and then we start judging others. Well, you know, they do this, and they do this, and they have this. Hey, stop all that stuff. You got freedom. That's between you and God. And that's the issue here. That's what we need to think about and need to dwell on, and it becomes a real problem. So, God doesn't want you confined. I know that because I read that in this book that He's given us that we call the Bible. He says, Take your liberty and enjoy it. Alright? Now, the fourth thing, or the third thing for of the serious ones at least. Do I have to be boring to follow Christ? Yeah, if you're already boring. Two, no, God doesn't, not looking for cookie cutters. Three, no, God doesn't want you confined. And the fourth thing is this, no, you don't have to be boring to follow Christ because God wants authentic lovers of life. I love this point too. God wants authentic lovers of life. And let me just add this, that's never boring. And I'm going to take you to just a real quick, I want to blow through these real quick because I want you to see it and I want you to see it quick. Um, you want to, here's the issue. You want to love life. I think I have this for you up here on the screen. You want to love life and see good days? That's really the question. You want to love life and see good days? First time I read that scripture, I'm going to show you where it is in a moment. First time I read that scripture, I thought, I just stopped right there, right where I have for you on the screen. Whoever would love life and see good days. And I thought to myself, I do. That's me. Here you go. Okay? Then I read the rest of the verses. Good stuff. Watch this. Okay, let's do it. But the scriptures say, next verse, whoever would love life and see good days, keep your tongue from speaking evil. Yeah? That gets you into some trouble, doesn't it? 
Keep your lips from telling lies. That gets you into trouble. Turn away from evil and do good. Work hard at living at peace with others. That's good. The eyes of the Lord watch over those who do right. And His ears are open to their prayers. But the Lord turns His face against those who do evil. That comes from 1 Peter 3 as well as Psalm 34. Peter is quoting Psalm, actually David, when he writes that in 1 Peter 3. So here's what I want you to see. You say, what's that got to do with everything? It's real simple. Does God want boring people? No. He wants you to love life and He wants you to see good days. even gives us some general ideas how that happens. And they're pretty simple, pretty basic. You know, don't say bad stuff. Don't lie. Don't do wrong stuff. You know, turn away from evil and do good and, and work at being at peace. People who are at peace, with others, you know, amazing discovery here. Maybe I'll take this with you today. People who are at peace with others are happier than those who aren't. Gee, what a profound thought. Um, okay, just just deal with that one. Let me jump into my, my what I call my takeout food or my carryout food. All right, carryout food for thoughts. I want to wrap all these up. Get you these three, four things and get you out of here, okay? I want you to see these, though, real quick, real simple. I'm going, to, I'm going to take all these things and put them in four positive statements. Number one, God wants you to be you. He made you that way. Do you need some change? Yeah, you do. We all do. And you know what? That's what God can do in a person's heart and in a person's life. And it's amazing when we come to God and, and just sort of submit our life to His transforming power what he can do in our lives. It's a, it's a process. And it's an amazing process. We call that process, there's a theological, let me give you, I'll give you a theological term for it. Don't, don't tell anybody I told you this. If you do, I'll call you a liar, okay? Um, I learned that in Washington. Um, um, it's a transformation process. It's, it's a theological term is called sanctification, being set apart. And it means that God is working in our hearts and in our lives, gradually, it's a process making us more of what He wants us to be. Sometimes that happens quickly. Sometimes it is a slow, painful process. Uh, an example, for some of us who have, it depends on who you are. For some of you, that process is learning how to speak out more. For some of us, it's learning how not to speak out more. For some of us, it might be a response, a reaction. Sometimes I, I, have, to, I have to just be so careful because I'm so quick sometimes with a quick reply and sometimes I make those replies and they're cutting and they hurt and they damage and I'm like, what did I do? I didn't mean, I didn't want to do that. The sanctification or this, this life-changing, transforming process is God working in me, working in you to round off those, whatever yours happens to be, to round off those rough edges. So God wants you to be you with changes that he will work in your life as you submit to him. Second little Carry out food here for you, all right? God wants you to be free. God, that's such a part of the message of Renaissance. Because I, it's not the message of Renaissance. I shouldn't say it. It's the message of the Bible. Freedom. Freedom. And so many times those of us who've been in Christian circles, what we call Christian circles and churches and so forth, we get this whole impression that you know, do this. You know, just, I just, ugh, I just, I hate that. Anyway, third thing. Carry out food. God wants authentic lovers of life. I've said that already. You get the point. That's what he wants. You know what? Last thing. Nothing about any of these qualities will make a person boring. 
I want to tell you one final thing, and we need to close. Uh, before I go there, uh, this is a book that I, this comes from a book. Uh, this is, I don't like doing this, but I'm going to do it because it's just so good. I didn't write it. I could have. Uh, it, it reflects my heart. It's from a book that I read some time ago called Grace Rules. And uh, I, I can get you all the information if you want the book later. But I'm going to take a pretty, pretty little bite-sized part of a page, more than a bite-sized part of a page. And I want you just to stay with me. We're going to read it, and I'll read it, and you stay with me because this just kind of wraps up everything we've been talking about. So let's do it. All right, follow along with me. Some followers of Christ find it scary to think that they are totally free from a system of rules. When I first began to understand grace for the Christian, I was afraid that I might become derelict in my responsibilities as a believer. I even thought that without rules, I might begin to minimize the seriousness of my sin in my own life. I came to discover that I found a security in my religious rules. When I kept them, I felt everything was all right with me spiritually. When I sensed any sort of spiritual deficit in my life, I would mentally run down the checklist of rules to see which one I was failing. But when a person examines himself to see if he's living up to a law, he will always discover, my underline, he will always discover areas of inconsistency. I thought the answer was to renew my efforts to do more. Yet even when I poured my energies into keeping these self-imposed laws, I really wasn't experiencing the life God intends. A Christian may believe his frustration comes because he doesn't adequately live up to certain rules. But the real problem is he's focusing on rules at all. A lifestyle ruled by law is one where the focus is on performance. It is a lifestyle which is obsessed with doing the right thing instead of being obsessed with Christ. Isn't that a great statement? I just love that. And then that last statement is one that I make. It is being more concerned about rules than in a relationship with God. That's the issue here. Does God want you boring? No. God wants you to experience life to its, to its fullest. And he's the creator of that life and of you. And nobody can put that better together than God Almighty. And it comes as we submit to Him. Let's pray together. Lord God, these are some wonderful truths, but sometimes they're hard to practice. Some of us, we come from all walks of life. Some of us come from a system of just getting beat over the head with all kinds of rules and regulations and do's and don'ts. Some of us come here and we don't have never had any rules, never had any standards for anything. We come from all walks of life. But Lord, we know that it is by the power of God that you can kind of just overcome all of that. And it might begin for some where they might start right now and say, Lord, I want to submit to you. I want to submit to the almighty power of God. I want to buy into your program." I want to invest in you. I want to just give you my life. I want to trust in you. And I believe Jesus came and died and went to the cross, died and buried and rose again. And he did that for me. So that I could be a part of this process. And I want to start right there by just trusting you. Lord, for some of us, we've, we've already prayed that. We've already asked that. And for us, our prayer is going to be a little different. Say, so, Lord, keep us focused. Keep us focused on what's important. Keep us focused on what it means to, to just have a, a, a relationship with you, God. 
Not to get hung up on all the other stuff. Certainly, there will be certain things that I won't want to do. There will be certain things that I will want to do. But that won't be the focus of what I'm all about. The focus will be having a relationship with my Creator and my God. And Lord, we thank you for that. Just as we pray, each one of us, in our own ways, in the quietness of our own mind right now. We pray that. And we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. We do anything? Okay. Let's stand together. All right. We're um, we're gonna we're just gonna be dismissed. I didn't. Uh, sorry about that. We were, I didn't look at the program to know whether we're gonna have a song or not. We're gonna we're not gonna have a song. I'm gonna pray and dismiss us, and you're gonna turn around and find somebody you don't know, or who's not, somebody whose name you forgot, or somebody somebody maybe you do know. I don't know. And uh, and say hi to him. All right. Uh, visitors, we have a few of you here. Thanks for coming. Uh, stick around. we got a bunch of food for you back there. We get it just for you. Most of us who are here all the time, we wait for you to go first, okay? Don't we? <laughs> Power of suggestion. Anyway, thanks for being here with us, and uh, let's just be dismissed. Lord, we pray that we would go in grace and peace. We thank you for your love. In Jesus' name, amen.